Did you know that over 20% of those in the justice system have a learning disability? That's a global statistic that's very disturbing. Being literate is a basic human right and no one should end up in the justice system because they have low literacy skills or because they have dyslexia. Growing up on the streets of New Orleans, Amir Baraka found himself in constant trouble with the law, which eventually led him to his incarceration. During that time, he was diagnosed with dyslexia. However, through resilience and determination, he turned his life around. He is now an actor, an author and activist, working to empower young people and adults who have dyslexia, with a focus on supporting those who have been in contact with the correction system. I'm so excited to have on the show today, Amir. Welcome to the show, Amir. Uh, thank you. Glad, uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so you grew up in your New Orleans. What was that like for you? Uh, growing up here was uh, actually, New Orleans is a wonderful town, beautiful people, a lot of hospitality. Uh, one of the best places, particularly in America, you could come. Uh, and be treated well uh, by the locals. It's just, it's, the people here are just loving and kind. Uh, but I grew up in the, in the projects here in New Orleans. Uh, it was a tough area, just like me, uh, uh, underprivileged communities around the country and around the world uh, where there's uh, not enough resources. And particularly uh, growing up, uh, not having the ability to read was very, very tough for me. Uh, so growing up there, with uh, three other siblings, a single parent, was very, very tough in regards to uh, not knowing how to read. So uh, it was a very trying time for me, um, cutting school in the third grade, uh, not liking school. And so that was very tough for me. That, in that regard, that, the only thing that was tough was that part of growing up, uh, not, uh, not being able to read and uh, go, going undiagnosed for so many years, uh, being called stupid and dumb by my mother because she didn't understand my problem. And my siblings, the rivals that we have, you know, they were smarter than me. And so they kind of rubbed that in my face. And so from that perspective, it was very tough. And so you were an adult or a young adult when you were diagnosed with dyslexia? I was, uh, I was about 20-something years old in prison, about 24, 25 in prison, and I was diagnosed in prison while serving a four-year prison sentence. Was it, um, did other members, so other members in your family didn't have reading difficulties? It was just yourself? My little brother, my baby brother, uh, he had reading difficulties as well, so, uh, uh, but I was the only one at that particular time because um, my little brother was still a, a baby. He was just born. So, uh, uh, but my mother, uh, brother and sister, my dad, they were all read fluently. Uh, my brothers and sisters both went to college. Uh, but I was the only one that had uh, this issue. And so um, ending up in the justice system and being diagnosed with dyslexia as a young adult, what was that like for you? Well, I had gone to prison, and uh, when you enter into the prison system at this particular time, they screen everyone, uh, find out what grade level you're reading on. 
And so it's about 30 of us that went on a bus uh, to this prison. Uh, it was called a Voids Correctional Facility in Cottonport, Louisiana. And so when I got there, we're all screened and just one guy had a, uh, he had his high school diploma. The rest of us, we read on third, fourth, fifth grade level. So I didn't really feel bad because everybody else was reading poorly. And so I felt actually good. I was reading on the third grade level at 23. And so, you know, I didn't really look at it as being anything bad because so many people around me, they read poorly as well. Um, but finding out uh, that I was dyslexic uh, really opened my eyes because, you know, my mother had called me stupid and dumb and, and my, my siblings as well. So when I realized that I was dyslexic, I said, okay, wow, it's not my fault. Nothing is wrong with me. I'm not crazy. I'm not retarded. So uh, I felt good about myself that I had, you know, it was something that was beyond my control. And so I faced this giant. And what I did was for the four years that I was in prison, I just wrote down every word that I didn't know. And I taught myself to read that way. And, uh, but phonetically, I was not silent at all. I, I, if I hadn't remember that word or saw that word, I didn't know what it was. So that's how I taught myself to read. Had you ever heard of the term dyslexia before you entered the prison system? Never, never heard of the word dyslexia. Never, never at all. I mean, when, when actually when I heard, when I was uh, the prison, the prison uh, teacher, the guy that was teaching, he had a compassion uh, for inmates. And uh, he had told me, he said, listen, Amir, uh, I noticed that you read poorly. He said, uh, have you ever heard of dyslexia? And I said, no, I, I don't know what that is. And so he said, you want to have me scream? So I, about a, two weeks later, there was a lady that came in and she screamed me. And she, she said, well, let's, she said, more than likely you're dyslexic. And I thought it actually validated what my mother said because the words sound so bad, dyslexia. I thought it was something that dealt with, like, like I was crazy or something, right? But when he further explained to me what it was, I called my mother up and I'm like, mom, I found out that I was dyslexic. And I explained a little, you know, to, to the degree that I knew at that time, that it, 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 it was something that made, diff, uh, made reading difficult for me. So, you know, it, it was like, it really made me feel well because I'm like, okay, I hear my mama said I'm stupid and dumb and my brothers and sisters laughed at me because I couldn't read. So nothing is really wrong with me. So, mm -hmm it actually woke me up and said, listen to me, you have to, you have to take responsibility for yourself now. You have to learn to read some way, somehow. Nothing is wrong with you. Because what it did was it boxed me in. It, it incarcerated me. I had a mental incarceration because of my own self-imposed limitation. I felt as though, okay, if my mama said I'm stupid and dumb, if my brothers and I'm saying the same thing, I must be stupid and dumb. So, I had to face this giant, this fear of reading. And again, I knew that that was my only way to liberate myself and never come back to prison. I had to learn to read. It was, I was desperate to learn to read. Did you and have so, any support in prison? Was there anyone apart from that one person that helped you or? No, no, it was, it, it, the thing was, once I realized that I, I wasn't crazy, uh, I, I just, I just, Got to myself, I said to myself, man, I want to learn to read. So what I did, I just began to write words down. You know, I just began to write every word down that I didn't know. It. And at night, I would go over and over throughout the years, the weeks, 
go over and over words. And that's how I taught myself to learn to read. And so what happened when you um, left the justice system? Where did you go to after that? Well, when I left the justice system, I, I attained my GED for four. It took me four years to get my GED. Wow. I felt good about myself. And uh, I wanted to go back to L.A. to be a model and an actor. And so that's, you know, I was always, I always enjoyed acting. And uh, so I went out to L.A. to start my modeling and acting career. And I, I made a lot of money modeling and acting. And so I used this platform to, 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 uh, to bring awareness about dyslexia. You've um, done some pretty amazing work with um, actresses like Angela Bassett and Jessica Lange, and you've even done some work with Oprah. Yes. Um, which I'd love to talk about Oprah later. <laughs> but how, um, how did you build the confidence to act and to remember the lines? And did you ever feel intimidated knowing that you had dyslexia? Was it something you could talk about openly? Well, you know, for, 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 for years, I was, it was something I was really ashamed of because you know, when you tell people you're dyslexic and you struggle with reading, you know, particularly in America, you know, where everything is based around reading, you really, you know, you don't feel comfortable, you know? You, you, you know, I, you know I, I hit that for a while, uh, up until uh, I met uh, Dr. Sally Shaywood and Senator Bill Cassidy, who had given me an award for overcoming dyslexia, in a way, uh, facing dyslexia. So that's when I, you know, I, I discovered, hey, let me write a book, you know, let me let people know to get rid of the stigma and the shame of being dyslexic. So I was really, I was really open about it. And uh, uh, working with Kathy Bates and Jessica Lane, and I, I, I was never intimidated because I, there was always a chip on my shoulder that I had uh, that I, I wanted to prove to people uh, that I was good. I wanted to prove to people that, you know, I could be, I could, I can be competitive. So I've always had that in the back of my mind. And so working with uh, Kathy Bates, I, I, I experienced something with her that, you know, every, you know, in the mornings I would go on set and I looked forward to working with her because I even wanted to prove to her that I was good. And I did, she and I did a scene together and she put out a tweet one time and uh, she said, Amir, your work was true and strong. You are a great actor. And that I held on to what she had tweeted to me and throughout the phase of my difficulties, being denied, being told no, I held on to that. And those words that she tweeted to me kept me going. And, you know, I was nominated for an Emmy Award just uh, last month. Wow, congratulations. Uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing that you could speak something to it. That, that lady, what she, what Kathy Bates told me was very powerful. I mean, it kept me in those dark places when things were going really tough, which she said, because if Kathy Bates said that I'm, my work was true and strong, she knows what she saw. So uh, that's the power that uh, uh, entertainers have. And I want to use my power and my platform to speak life into dyslexic kids. So is that what led you to create your Dyslexic Awareness Foundation? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I realize that entertainers are the gods of this world. And, you know, the platforms that we've been given is a very powerful platform. Uh, when, you know, you know, kids, they idolize entertainers. Uh, so you could be a doctor, you can be a brain surgeon, you could be whatever. And, you know, you have those people who are interested in that component uh, uh, enthralled by you. But the average kid, he doesn't care about you being a doctor, you a big time attorney or you a mm -hmm. brain surgeon. 
No, they 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 idolize entertainers, uh, football players, actors, dancers, uh, 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 basketball players, baseball players. So you know, I went into this field, uh, into the uh, entertainment world, because it was something that I was passionate about. Uh, and as an as a as as a as an actor, uh, I'm free. I'm free in that world. I can become anybody who I want to become. That's the best thing about acting. I mean, I, because I'll never be a doctor. Let's face it, I'll never be a doctor. I will never be a doctor. I understand that. I will never be an attorney, right? I understand that. But through acting, I could be an attorney. Through acting, I can be a doctor because I can play those roles. So mm -hmm. that's the, you know, that's the, the luxury that I have as being an actor. Like I, um, for the television show Bronx SIU that I'm working on, I play a detective. I could never be a detective because I have a lot of felony convictions. So, so that's a no-no for me. <laughs> it, it won't happen. Yeah. But through acting, I was able to play a cop. So do you find, do you have any challenges at the workplace when you're trying to learn your lines or um, having to get up in front of camera? Do you ever feel your dyslexia um, creates a challenge for you in the workplace? Um, well, sometimes it does. So what, what happens is I have to have my lines early on because, again, I need to memorize my lines. So I need more time, right? I need more time. So if I can get my lines in a decent amount of time, which they always do, it's no problem for me at all. So it's you, no problem for me at all. You don't use a, a cue card, is that what they're called? You just memorize it all? Because I find yeah. that that's what dyslexic people tend to have a really good long-term memory once you've got it in your brain. <laughs> yeah, once it's in my brain, it's in my brain. Yeah. Yeah, once it's in my brain, it's in my brain. <laughs> it's hard you know, to get so, out. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get out once it's there. So that's why I, I rehearse. I go over it over and over and over again. And once it's there, it's there. Yeah. And so um, when I was looking at your awareness, your foundation, I loved your statement around building a wall. And I had to read it twice because I wasn't sure where it was going with the wall, with what we see with Donald Trump. But um, I loved it around the worldwide wall of love. Where did you come up with that concept? Uh, well, <laughs> my manager, I, my manager's name is Leland Hardy, and he was Venus and Serena manager for 15 years. And uh, he went to the Business School of War, and we always bounced ideas off of each other. I uh, graduated from the Business School of War in, in, in marketing, so speak seven languages. So I have a really great team around me, and uh, we just came up with an idea build a wall of love. And so, you know, uh, I, want, I want dyslexics to feel that they are welcome into this world, that they have meaning, that they have purpose. Uh, even though you struggle with literacy, it's perfectly okay. Uh, I love you. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, who don't love you, uh, but you, you matter. Uh, because I, I believe that dyslexics are the geniuses uh, in, this, in this country. In the world. I loved how you had you get people to share their stories because of the, my foundation, it's all about how storytelling can change the world and the way people see dyslexics. And so I loved how you, people can upload their photo and um, share their story. Yeah. It's yeah, been, absolutely. That's, that's what because storytelling, what it does is it frees you. Uh, when you hear someone's story, they're brave and what they've gone through, uh, it liberates you. Uh, to uh, to feel good, uh, just like on yesterday, I came in in class and uh, uh, there are kids here that are dyslexic, 
And so when uh, I told them that I was dyslexic and how proud that I am being dyslexic and that I struggle with reading. And so they became like excited about it. And so they start dapping each other off. I'm like, listen, nothing is wrong with you. It's okay. You know? So, you know, storytelling is wonderful, man. When you tell your story, you help someone else. So when um, you dialed in today, you said you're at your dyslexic school. Is that right? Or a camp? Yeah. That the Rocker Learning Center. Yes. Yeah. What, so we, can you talk to us well, a bit we, about that? Yeah. Well, a friend of mine named is Alvin Smith. Uh, he's a very well-off to do businessman. And uh, he, uh, he has this huge gym. It's very, very large. It used to be a boxing gym. And he was going to sell it to the city. And so he said, uh, he said, listen to me, uh, he said, I don't want to sell, I don't want to sell. He said, I want to help kids in the community. He said, I want to have a center this summer and do some things to help our kids, educate our kids. And so this is a really a low economic area where, where we were born, we both were born and raised in this area. Uh, he's 67 years old, but he's very wealthy. And so uh, the name of the camp is titled Us Helping Us. Uh, and what that, where that came from is, you know, he got the concept. He said, Amir, listen, black people need to begin to help black people. We can't depend on any other people to help us. We must take our own resources and help our own people. And so I said, Al, you're absolutely right. I mean, we can't keep begging people, help us, oh, help us, help us, when we have our own resources. So what he did was, we totally fixed this place up, man, and, uh, he gave me a little uh, office, a, a room, and I have my center here uh, under his umbrella, us helping us. The Baraka Learning Center is here. So we have these kids, and what they do is they rotate. So, you know, you know, they're here. I'm here. I'm here three, three days a week uh, in the Learning Center, and uh, they take kids on field trips. They teach them about Black history, the culture, Black culture. Uh, they teach them about financial literacy. Uh, pro-social values, how to think, uh, how to conflict resolutions, all these things that we so desperately need uh, in these communities. Uh, so uh, it's a really good uh, system that we have here. So are these children that have dyslexia or it's just a variety of kids that come and um, spend time with you? Well, many of the kids are dyslexic. We got about, I think it's eight kids that are dyslexic. So, you know, that's, that's all I can work with because again, I don't, I, I personally, I'm only doing what I could do with the resources that I have and that we have. Mm. Uh, so this year I'm working with these kids. Uh, I'm teaching them what I know because I was remediated for about 15 months online every day, one hour a day. And it helped me tremendously. And I said to myself, had someone given me the opportunity to take this when I was eight, nine years old, I would never go into prison. So I'm giving them back what I know. I'm teaching them what I know. And so I, I, I can't wait till I get $100,000 or $200,000 grant uh, to have someone come and teach these kids. I have to get involved now. It's if not now when, if not me, who? So that's, you know, mm. that, that phrase is very, very powerful to me. So that's what I'm, I'm moving on. What I have help will come down the line as I continue to get involved. And so I'm shooting a documentary right now about, uh, kids and kids of color growing up with dyslexia. And so this is going to be incorporated in the, in the documentary as well. So what is school like for um, kids in America? Do they have much access to assessments and support? Yeah. 
No, listen, ma'am, if you don't have money, you are in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. So they're putting these kids who can't read in special ed, they won't say the word dyslexia because if they say dyslexia, that means they have to give them the remediation. The teachers are not skilled in that area. It's not the teacher's fault. It's just that they have not been educated on the science of reading, uh, so they can't help these kids. So the kids are just being passed on and passed on, uh, and they can't read. Yeah, and it's you know literacy is a fundamental human right, and being able to read, and it's just heartbreaking to hear that that's happening. Oh yeah, it's happening. It's happening all over across America, and so if you don't have the resources to get your kid educated, and uh, and if your kid's dyslexic, it's it you just you just shame on you. So it's my job. It's my job to not allow another kid growing up where I came from to enter the system uh, because what happens is dyslexics drop, 40% of dyslexics drop out of school. So what happens is, particularly in our community, uh, they, we, they go from the streets to prison pipeline. So they drop out of school, go to the streets, start selling drugs, uh, start stealing, start robbing, just as I did. So I'm mentoring a kid right now in Nashville. His name is Naquan, and it'll, he'll be in the documentary as well. I, I used to FaceTime him every week. He was dyslexic, uh, struggling in school, always fighting, getting thrown out of class because kids are calling him dumb and stupid. So now Naquan is 13 years old. He just got busted. He just got caught with a gun on Facebook, got kicked out of school. So I'm driving up to Nashville, do a story on him, and hopefully I can get him, his mother would allow me to drive him back to New Orleans so he can live with me for the summer and so he can be involved in, my, in the summer camp that we're doing here being around some good kids, having some good fun, learning about dyslexia, uh, being remediated, uh, just be given a, a beautiful life because his mother has six children. They live in a two bedroom house. Uh, his sister, 15 years old, just had a baby two weeks ago. So it's, it's poverty, it's just inundating with poverty. And so he doesn't feel good about himself. So I wanna bring him here to expose him to a good life. And you know, I, I have a nice home, I have a, uh, three-bedroom home. Uh, I live there alone. Uh, periodically, my girlfriend comes over. So we just want to just bring him to the movies, bring him fishing, uh, bring him to the parks, and you know, let him see what it is to be a man. And I really want to help this kid. Wow, that's amazing. And um, it must be hard for you when you see so many other children that you you want to be able to help. And you know, like I understand having a foundation, it's so hard to get that money in to support everyone. And you can see people desperately need that help. Oh yeah, it, it is, man. It's heartbreaking, and you know, I, I, I'm, I, I beg God every night, and I work hard. Just give me, Lord, the resources that I can just help these kids, so I can get these kids help. So, um, what I've done was, my company has just merged uh, with Pittsburgh University. It's a university in Pittsburgh, Dr. Harford, and uh, they can remediate. They can screen thousands of kids at one time and remediate them. So uh, Dr. Harford and I have, uh, uh, have merged. And so that's a good start. So what I'm gonna do is, but you know, again, it takes a lot of resources mm. because these people need to be paid for their work. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have that type of resources. I, I mean, I could, you know, I can, I'm providing for myself. I live a decent life. Um, you know, I can only help a couple of people. I just don't have the resources as of right now but I'm working to uh, put out this documentary 
if I can make two, three hundred thousand dollars on this documentary, I could take sixty, seventy thousand and invest in maybe twenty kids or fifteen kids to to get them some remediation for the year. So that's my that's my goal. Wow, that's amazing. Well, if there's anything we can do to help promote your documentary when it's up and running, let me know because I understand Absolutely. working full time and then funding your foundation. It's really hard work. It's hard work. <laughs> yeah, it's hard work. But it's rewarding. It is. It is. It's, 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 you know, it's a purpose, man. It's my purpose. So you have a purpose in life. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you, get, you get up in the morning and feel driven, you know, because it's, it's not about you. It's about somebody else. I mean, yeah. I, I'm living a good life. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm working. We're about to do another season in October of the TV show that I'm working on. So I'm good. But, you know, if, if you see other people struggling and other people are, are having hard times, you, you can't sleep good at night. And you know that there's so many other people, man, that are struggling. Well, it's so great talking to you because some mornings I wake up and it is so hard to, you know, keep going. But you know that you've got a purpose and the, the ability to help other people. Um, so it's really inspiring to hear what you're doing in America. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, if, if people want to get my, my book and read my story, uh, uh, they can go to barakabook.com and order the book that's capital B A R A K, capital B O O K.com and get the book. Uh, well, my, mm-hmm. When we um, when we launch a podcast, I'll put all your information up on our website and uh, the links because I saw that you've done some work with um, Muhammad Ali's daughter as well, which looked amazing. Yes, yes. Uh, she uh, She's dyslexic and you know. Muhammad Ali was dyslexic, and my manager was Muhammad Ali's interpreter for many years, did a lot of work uh, with Muhammad Ali uh, because he was severely dyslexic. So his, his daughter, Leah Ali, Mia Ali, she's dyslexic, so she's partnered with us as well. Um, it's amazing, man. You know, it's, uh, you know, we're just trying to get a lot of people on board. Uh, I reached out to Octavia Spencer, who's a fine actress, a Academy-nominated mm. actress, yes. and trying to get her on board to, you know, to really push that because uh, black girls uh, uh, need uh, uh, that confidence. They need, uh, they need to see other black women who are dyslexic and say, you know, I made it. I mean, we are really uh, at a disadvantage because of already the way that we think coming out of these poverty areas. We have a poverty mentality uh, because we've been... We've been living in poverty. We don't see that success. Uh, so particularly if you're dyslexic, now you have a triple mindset of poverty because you don't feel good about yourself because you can't read and you can't write. So we need people like Octavia Swinson, uh, who's a black woman and who's dyslexic, to get out there on the talk circuit and say, listen, uh, it's okay. You can still become successful. Share her story and, and encourage and and motivate a lot of our kids, man, who are really uh, falling through the cracks and uh, black girls who really don't feel good about themselves uh, because of the image that we're, we're seeing on television. I mean, it's so, so much brainwashing that goes on uh, mm. in the media. Uh, your hair has to be a certain, uh, uh, a certain uh, coarse hair. Uh, your, your skin has to be a good, uh, it can't be dark because you know, dark-skinned people doesn't come across well. So all these lies, I mean, we really go through it as being African-Americans, man. So uh, I want to, you know, like, you know, the title of my book, The Streets Lied to Me, The Life I Chose, The Streets Lied to Me. 
you know, the media is lying to our kids. You're, you got kinky hair, your nose is big. All of that is a bunch of bull crap. So yeah. uh, you're beautiful no matter who you are, no matter how kinky your hair is, no matter how big your nose is. God created you that way. Uh, uh, you, you know, you are the beginning of civilization. So that's, you have a lot to be proud of. And so we really need people uh, that look like us saying these things uh, to kids who are dyslexic. Well, if Octavia ever wants to do a podcast, let me know because I'd love to interview her as well. Um, I know we're running out of time because you have to go start work soon, but are there three uh, things you'd like to see change in America over the coming um, years, some of the top things you'd like to see happen for young kids and um, adults with dyslexia? Yes, for number one, uh, uh, President Donald Trump just signed a bill uh, prison reform bill, and uh, my name was in that prison reform bill uh, in regards to every federal inmate will be screened for dyslexia uh, and remediated. Wow. That's a good thing, but what we need to do is we can't wait to people go to prison to be screened for dyslexia. We have to, uh, we have to catch these people on the front end, and so uh, uh, I would like to see schools uh, uh, screen kids starting in the first or second grade uh, uh, even kindergarten for dyslexia and have these kids remediated. Secondly, I would like to see teachers coming out of schools uh, when they get their diplomas, uh, having been trained in dyslexia so they can spot those type of kids. Yeah, uh, we don't have that in Australia either. No, we don't have that. No, we and don't thirdly, either. Yeah, and thirdly, I would like to see uh, kids who have perhaps been diagnosed and went through school uh, being accepted on, on their talent and their gifts uh, uh, opposed to uh, learning and knowing to read, uh, embrace people being embraced, uh, irregardless of them not being able to read, uh, but yet they're highly intelligent and they're skilled. So um, let's do away with these applications where people have to fill out uh, these broad applications and, uh, and because they can't do it, but yet they're skilled people. They, they, they're very talented with their work. So let's get rid of that stuff, man, and embrace the talents and gifts of people. Uh, well, it's been amazing talking to you uh, this evening. Is there anything you'd like to say to the audience before we wrap up, especially someone that might be struggling or having challenges or have had contact with the correction system that you'd like to say? Yeah. I would like to say, particularly to those who've had challenges in the correctional facility, uh, like myself, listen, uh, you are still valuable. Uh, reading does not define you. Your past does, does not define you. Uh, prison doesn't define you. Uh, what defines you is the way that you think, uh, the way how you see yourself. So if you see yourself, if you have distorted thinking and you don't feel good about yourself, uh, I suggest uh, that what I was able to do, uh, I picked up the word of God and, and, and and God told me through his word that I'm, I was a chosen generation. I was royal. And so when I heard that, I said, okay, this is how I see myself as being chosen and royal. And so that I got my information from the word of God, which is the Bible. I began to read that book and I began to see how God sees me. God sees me as precious. He said that I was chosen and I'm a gift. I'm a gift. So, you know, that blew my mind. And so I opened my thinking up and I said, okay, you know what? I'm a gift. I'm chosen. 
I started saying that. I started believing that. And here I am today with 30 movies under my belt, an uh, Emmy-nominated person. So I didn't allow me going to prison to define me. I didn't allow me being on drugs to define me. I didn't allow me not being able to read to define me. I allowed the word of God to define me. And so I encourage you to, to uh, pick up some books and read or try to read or, or try to get around some people that are going to deposit something positive into your spirit. And you need to hold on to that. Well, that's um, a very inspirational way to finish our podcast tonight. So thank you so much for your time, Amir. I really appreciate your patience with me in getting this set up as well. And um, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll talk soon. If you'd like to find out more about Amir's amazing story, access to his books or more information about his charity, then head to the Dear Dyslexic website now. Also, if you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with all the work that we are doing at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there's anything you've heard today that you've found distressing, you can contact Beyond Blue, 1300 224636 or Lifeline 13 11 14. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now.